Welcome. This is Larry Bertrand again with another Bible series in Ezekiel. We're in the seventh session of Ezekiel's schedule for January 16th, 2022. This lesson will identify values and will understand that God values all human life. So for this lesson in Ezekiel, we're actually going to look at chapter 16, verses 20 and 21 of Ezekiel, and then chapter 23, verses 36 to 39 of Ezekiel. And then we're going to move over to Psalm 139, a beautiful psalm that David writes, verses 13 through 16. The key verse for today's lesson is Psalm 139, verse 14 which states, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So as we study these verses in Ezekiel and Psalm, notice how people are valued or devalued in these verses. Consider that human beings are created in the image of God, giving all human life Value. This lesson supports uh, the special emphasis on the sanctity of human life, and we will be challenged to look at how important it is to value others in this week's lesson. So think about five things that are of extreme value to you. Just you might want to scribble them down on a piece of paper nearby small card, what are, what are the five most important things that you value? Now that you've selected those, go back to your list and choose three that you would consider most important, more important than the other two. So you've gone to five, down to three. Now then, circle of the three remaining, circle the one that you would consider the most important. Think about these choices that you've made and why you've made these choices of importance in your life. Our, our values not only shape our priorities, they also demonstrate the way we value other people. So as we look at the context of chapter 16 and 23 of Ezekiel and Psalm 139, We'll see in chapter 16, um, it describes God's grace to an unfaithful uh, Jerusalem. God had set his love on his people from the beginning. We see that in Ezekiel 16. He established a covenant with them. He generously provided for them. Um, However, God's people took his blessings and used them to worship idols They even sacrificed their children to pagan gods and entered into evil partnerships with other nations. God told them he would bring judgment on them and those nations and practices they had valued. Eventually, eventually he would bring them down according to his promise. Both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah had committed folly, according to Ezekiel 16, uh, 44 to 52. Nevertheless, wow, 
What a big word. Nevertheless, God would restore his people one day. And in that day, they would feel gratitude to God, but shame for their actions. In Ezekiel 23, it described God's judgment against Samaria and Jerusalem, the capitals of Israel and Judah, respectively. Ezekiel compared Samaria to a woman named Ahola and Jerusalem to a woman named Aholabah. Uh, both said, God said both women belonged to him, but Ahola acted unfaithfully toward the Lord and placed her faith in the Assyrians instead of uh, God. Tragically, the Assyrians brought destruction on Samaria and the nation of Israel. Aholabah saw all this, yet acted even more wickedly than her sister. Therefore, God said he would humble Jerusalem and Judea and bring the nations in which uh, she had trusted, in which he had trusted She had trusted against uh, her. Uh, God told Ezekiel to declare to Ahola and Aholabah their sins, and God would humble both nations and show them the extent of their evil and what had happened. uh, And when this happened, they would know that he is the Lord. David reflected on God's awesome power as we look at Psalm 139. The Lord knew him through and through and understood intimately everything about him. The the thought of such truths staggered David's imagination. He affirmed that God's presence extended throughout the universe and God was present with David. The Lord's care for David even extended to the womb of David's mother when God had formed him. David asked that God would judge the wicked and protect him from such people. He closed the psalm by asking God's intervention in his own life. He wanted God to help him remain true to him to lead David along the path that God had determined for his life. So these passages from Ezekiel and Psalm are bound together by God's value of human life. In each setting, God reminded his people that humans are created in his image and therefore all people are to be treated as being valued by God. The children of Israel had had a habit of pursuing the practices of their neighbors, and that's what brought on their sin and disobedience. Looking at the first section, wrongdoing is justified. We see in Ezekiel 16, verses 20 and 21. In these two verses, listen as I read, for the evil practices the Israelites 
had adapted or adopted for, from their neighbors. Verse 20. And you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. Wow, reading this makes it hard to imagine that a civilized people would have behaved this way. So in Ezekiel 16, the the practice that angered the Lord was idol worship to the cult god Molech. God explicitly forbid the children of Israel of these practices we see in Leviticus 18, 21. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch, for you must not profane the name of the Lord, uh, the name of your God. I am the Lord. Looking in the Tyndale Bible commentary on verses 20, 21, it says, Putting children through the fire to Moloch, it, it's, it's a phrase found in Leviticus and in Second uh, Kings, also in Jeremiah, it, is here explained as involving first slaying the child, then uh, burning his body as a sacrifice to the gods. Wow. Ahaz was guilty of this, and we see that in 2 Kings 16, and so was Manasseh in 2 Kings 21. It was uh, abhorrent to the true religion of Israel for whom the ancient tradition of God's thwarting of sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah. It must have been a permanent reminder that such behavior was not required. So just as Isaac did not have to sacrifice his son, they would or should not see the need themselves. Though it was by some mistakenly regarded as being the ultimate in religious devotion, Micah taught that something far deeper and more demanding was asked by Yahweh of his worshipers. So in Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, we read, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn of my transgression, of the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, verse 8, hallmark verse in Micah, verse 8. He has shown you, O, O mortal, This translation reads, some translation says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Beautiful words. We'll be looking chapter 23 of Ezekiel, verses 36 to 39. We see the callousness, callousness becomes uh, the norm 
for the children of Israel. And so as I read these verses, you know, identify the depraved condition of Israel that's illustrated in their bizarre and sinful behavior. Verse 36, the Lord said to me, oh, said to me, son of man, will you judge Ahola and Aholabah the, at, then confront them with their detestable practices for they have committed adultery and blood is on their hands. They have committed adultery with their idols. They have even sacrificed their children whom they bore to me as food for, for them. They have also done this to me. At the same time, they defied my sanctuary and desecrated my Sabbath. On the very day they sacrificed their children to their idols, they entered my sanctuary and desecrated it. That is what they did in my house. So the image that Ezekiel presented in verses 36 to 39 was was much like a, a sentencing of capital punishment in a courtroom of heinous crimes. So think of uh, the things that these two uh, have done. Ahola from Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel, and Aholabah from Jerusalem, the southern kingdom of Judah. As we think about these two, I want you to, to think about the charges against the sisters uh, and as I list them out for you, they were charged with adultery, with murder, with idolatry, with child sacrifice, with defilement of the sanctuary, and with desecration of the Sabbath. Any one of these would have been horrible, but they were guilty of all of these. And I want you to review that list as you go back and look at these scriptures and look at the attitude that these sisters have towards God. It says they were calloused and it says they turned their backs on God. The Bible knowledge commentary writes about these verses. It it looks at that word idolatry. Though not the subject of verses 1 through 35. Idolatry was common to Israel and Judah. The apex of their spiritual adultery was child sacrifice. They even sacrificed their children whom they had borne to me, God says. This one this is this one of the most detestable practices of the Canaanite religions. Uh, had infiltrated both Israel and Judah. And the people were so hardened by sin that the very day they sacrificed their children to the idols, what do they do? They entered the temple, and Scripture describes it. They entered the temple with the children's blood still on their hands. 
And it also describes them as going into the temple with the smoky smell of burning flesh embedded in their clothes. Their very presence profaned and desecrated the house of God. It describes them as unrepentant. So how does uh, repeating the repeating of sin callous a person or society to, to, to greater sin. Think about that. Think about that. The more you do what is wrong, the less you feel guilty about it. So think about safeguards that might be put in place that keep you from becoming calloused. We need to be accountable for the sins of our life, and we need someone to keep us, uh, keep reminding us that that is wrong. We look now in the book of Psalms, verse chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. And, uh, and as I read these verses, I, I'm going to read these. Uh, look at the significant phrases uh, and expressions that are found. Uh, they should move us emotionally. It recognizes God's tender care over your development. And so when, when you look at your life, your body, how you are made, and the creative work of God, it, it's an amazing thing to consider. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, beginning with verse 13, we read, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So let me highlight it talks about God's salvation is based on God's value of human life. Why does God send his son for us to die for our sin? Because he loves us. He cares about us. He values our life. He wants to protect us. Peter declared that God desires that no one perish, but all come to repentance. So in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God gave his son for this very purpose. God is not a discriminator, a person. He loves all. All people. First John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Paul wrote that God provides his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see that in Romans 5, 8. So, what do these verses teach us about the value of human life from the beginning? Looking at 
again, the Bible knowledge commentary, verses 13 and 14. The, the theme of verses 13 through 18 is announced here. The Lord, you, uh, is emphatic in Hebrew. Uh, the Lord created him in his mother's womb. So he's talking about how David is recognizing God made him. The, the, the language is figurative in that creating and knitting describe God's sovereign superintendence over the natural process of reproduction. So that concept of knitting, Job refers to that in Job 10, 11. Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinew, verse 11 says. This, this fact is, is this fact prompted the psalmist to break forth in praise over the thought of how marvelously he had been made. Even David's rudimentary knowledge of the marvels of the human body led him to be in awe and wonder. The words wonderfully and wonderful are mindful of God's marvelous knowledge. So we see in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We see in Psalm 139, verse six. Looking at verse 15 and 16, then David stressed certain features of God's superintendence over him. Number one, in the womb, he was woven together, literally embroidered or knit. Uh, it suggests his veins and arteries. Uh, so when he was being formed in the womb, he was as remote to the human eye as, as the lower part of the earth. But God saw every detail of every human created. God, David's frame means his skeleton and his unformed body, his embryo. Moreover, God uh, pre-recorded all the days of the psalmist before he was born. This statement may, may mean that God determined how long he would live but in view of verses one through four, it more likely refers to, to the everyday details. God marvelously planned out his life. He planned out David's life. And you know what? He plans out your life and my life. Isn't that a beautiful thought that God cares about us this way? And so again, the memory verse the key verse, I praise you because I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Christ died for all people. And his, his example demonstrates the value of every person, no matter their age, no matter their gender, their race, or their ethnicity. We should seek to affirm the value of others as God's
creation. Well, that's a beautiful application to today's lesson. Forgetting God's gracious acts on our behalf can lead to the devaluing of human life and unthinkable sins. So let's not forget God's gracious acts. The second application is over time, over time, people can become calloused to their sin that they no longer revere God's holiness. And finally, all human life is of value and should be protected. So as we consider things to pray about, pray for eyes to see all people as God sees them. Pray or thank God for his gracious love for all people proven in God's salvation to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let me continue with the words of a beautiful hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, written by Henry Van Dyke in 1907. I'll not read all the verses, but they begin. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. We adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. All your works with joy surround you. Earth and heaven reflect your rays. Stars and angels sing around you. Center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea. Uh, Chanting bird and flowing fountain. Praise you eternal, praising you eternally. Well, let's uh, close in prayer. Lord, thank you. Praise you that we are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. You created us. Now, Lord, help us to examine ourselves and to make sure. There's no form of callous that is being built up that that continues to allow sin areas of our life. May we be repentant. May we look to you and be grateful for your creative work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.